It is wonderful to be together worshiping with you today. Can we just thank the parties and the worship team and everybody for welcoming us, being together, being that big happy family. Uh, We're going to continue our series called Be Rich Today. If you thought you were coming to Get Rich, that's a different series. I apologize. You're welcome to stay. An article was published last week in the Wall Street Journal. And basically, it reported that there's new data coming from the Federal Reserve and from the Census Bureau, and it says that this generation is in worse financial shape than any and every living generation before it. Isn't that good news? It's crazy because it's got the highest education, this generation, of all previous generations, but... This generation's drowning in debt, can't afford to start a family or buy a home. Now, it's interesting, though, because at the same time, a huge chunk of the baby boomer generation is about to retire. So there's all this transition that we're on the brink of right now. And I think the stage is set for some serious emotional breakdowns in New York City. Younger folks are broke and afraid. The older folks are facing retirement and afraid, and the rest of us are just afraid. So whether you're broke or balling today, that's a little current vernacular for meaning that you have some money in your pocket, or if you're terrified on one side or just afraid, it's okay. God has answers for us. Amen. So let's turn our Bibles open to first Timothy chapter six. This has been our theme scripture and will be for the next few weeks as we talk about money from the Bible. God has answers and it has nothing to do with your paycheck. It has everything to do with your heart. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read a couple of verses here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. In verse 18 it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So part two of our series today of Be Rich is going to focus in on the idea of hope. The idea of hope. The songs we've been singing, talking about hope in God. And what today we want to do is focus in on verse 17 where it talks about the difference between, and the Bible sort of warns us about putting your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but instead putting your hope in God. And I want to define this tricky word for us as we embark upon this study of hope and as it has to do with wealth. But hope is a feeling. It's got a couple of different definitions. The first one is it's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. For instance, I hope I get a puppy. All right. I have an expectation. I have a desire. I have a feeling. I want the thing. Okay. I want ice cream today. Something. I'm hoping it can get emotional. We put our we invest in this with our heart. You guys understand that kind of hope, right? Then the second type is hope in a person or a thing that may help or save someone. So this would be like Obi Wan. You are our only hope. All right. Pinning my hope on a particular thing or person in this sense, if you're a Star Wars fan. All right. Awesome for the four of you that are Star Wars fans. You're such liars because you're all going to line up to get tickets in December. So 
I know you love it more than you're letting on. All right. So hope, because of these definitions, because it's inextricably linked to our emotion, it can be a movable commodity depending on what the hope anchors on. If it anchors on a puppy and you don't get the puppy, your hope is dashed. If it anchors on a person and something doesn't work out with that person, hope is dashed. So the warning today is hoping in something that will make good on its promises. We have three questions that we'll tackle today. The first one is, why do people put their hope in wealth? Second one is, why is wealth uncertain? Just grabbing the questions from the text we read. And thirdly, how do we put our hope in God? What does that look like in practice? You guys ready? All right, point number one. Why do people put their hope in wealth? We can have a long conversation about this, right? Some of us are a little bit unsure whether you want to totally agree, though. You're like, I'm not sure that people all put their hope in wealth, or maybe some do, or I certainly don't, so we'll talk about it a little bit. So millions of Americans are workaholics, according to a new survey from one poll that just came out. Three symptoms are, and you can measure yourself against these. Number one, feeling like you're too busy to take a vacation. Ever feel that? Okay, never. (laughs) Number two, worrying about work when you're not at work. You ever feel that? Okay, more on number two than number one. Okay. And number three, checking email when you wake up, particularly to look for things from work or boss or coworkers, etc. Right? All right, so we're all debating about this. So you have to ask yourself, look at the last week in your life, You know, and maybe we tend towards two extremes. Maybe some of us are more on the lazy end. We hate work. We look for opportunities to get out of it. Maybe you're on the workaholic end where you're, I heard some, some yeses from the campus. No, is is that what I heard? No, No, okay. Campus is hard workers, right? All right. Students of the future, our generation that will hopefully do something different than the Wall Street Journal uh, suggested. All right. So why, for those that work so hard, what are they working for? All right? And you got to ask yourself, even the students in the room, why am I working so hard to get great grades? Is it because I want to get a great job? Is it because I want a great paycheck? Is it because I want to provide? you got to go down the list. Why am I working hard? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Where are my priorities? And one of the interesting answers to this question comes from the Proverbs. In Proverbs 18, in verse 11, it says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. It says, they imagine it a wall too high to scale. All right, so what does this mean? So a lot of people, in America especially, have this idea that each dollar is a brick in a secure life. And I think what's interesting about that is that you could debate both sides about whether money could be a tool. The trap is when we get caught in in the hope that money is going to solve our problems. And I think while money is a tool that can help us be generous and even live a godly life, remember, this series is not poo-pooing the idea of being really wealthy. We want all of you to have a ton of money so that you can be rich and be generous with it, right? That's the whole idea. Get a lot so you can give a lot away. That's the idea. So, but the illusion that wealth equals security, that's a deadly lie. We asked this question last week. I'll ask it in a little bit of a different way. How much money, what's the dollar amount that you need to solve all of your life's problems? Write it down on a piece of paper. You say, oh, $100 million is going to solve, that's going to solve every relational conflict that I have in my life. That's going to solve all my marriage problems. That's going to help my teenager obey. I'll tell you something, that money's going to run out. It's going to run out fast. What's the amount? There isn't one. 
And we expect, when we expect more cash, and we think cash can save us, we're setting ourselves up for a cash crash. And we say, well, okay, I get that. There's a lot of people maybe in New York and maybe even in the room. I pity them, those that really struggle with this. Those people. You know, but I don't put my hope in wealth. Okay, we can, we can have that thought. But let me ask you something. Do you ever feel emotions come up when you're thinking about money? Is there ever an attachment, whether it's anger or happiness or sadness or shock, when it's connected to dollars? Have you ever felt uplifted when you get a paycheck? No one wants to answer right now. You're totally silent. You're like, I don't want to get caught in this trap. Have you ever felt down when you've had to pay some bills? No, now you answer. I get it. I get it. Have you ever felt up when you got a raise or a promotion? Have you ever felt down when someone else gets a raise or a promotion and you didn't? Quiet on that one again. All right. You ever feel up when you're able to be generous and pay for someone's meal? You're like, you know what? I got that. Man, I feel good. I want to provide. That's awesome. You ever felt down when someone else gets the meal because you can't afford it? So our emotions, if we start getting linked up in the way we feel in all these circumstances, then perhaps your hope is linked up to money. Why does money grab our hope? Well, it hits our hearts. It promises solutions, especially to emotional situations. And there's different kinds of hope. Uh, I've listed a couple here that our heart can get uh, trapped into. Uh, I would call it the hoarder's hope. This is a hope that comes from having stuff. And you don't have to be a full-blown hoarder and be on one of those reality TV shows to qualify for putting your hope in stuff. It could just be something that you got from your parents or maybe you grew up poor and the more stuff that you collect, you feel like that equals security. And the more stuff equals, hey, I'm more of a success, I have more security, I feel better about life, and when the stuff is uh, threatened or I've got to give away stuff or if someone says, hey, it's time to go minimalist or get rid of some things, you, you start to get a little bit ang- anxious. That's a hoarder's hope. There's also a helper's hope, which is interesting. What's wrong with, with wanting to help? That's a good thing, right? Well, it's interesting, especially in the church, sometimes we dream about all the spiritual, all the righteous, all the ways we can help with our money. And the trick is, well, awesome, let's do it. But then we don't. And then when we ask, well, why aren't we doing it? We say, well, because I don't have the money yet. But the issue is, we're probably not going to be great at helping people later if you're not helping people now with what you have. So when I get the millions, then I'll be able to help. I'll be able to do all these amazing things. Well, you got to practice if you're going to be able to receive and be able to help later. You know, studies on lottery winners show that they are often depressed after winning the money. A lot of times it is proven over time that their hope was in the wrong thing. And so when they get the millions that they had hoped for all their lives, time passes and they realize, actually, more money, more problems. As one poet said. So don't be deceived. Hope and wealth is an epidemic. And it's at all of our front doors. You know, before we get to point two, uh, we have a special treat today. And I'll I'll announce this in just a second. But before I do, I want to remind you of a very special woman that's been in in our fellowship and has even spoken 
uh, to Manhattan many years ago. And her name is Connie Bean. And she has served for many years as the chief financial officer of all of the churches that the Big Apple Church is a part of, this whole family of churches in New York and New Jersey. And she uh, had a retirement party a couple weeks ago, and uh, they asked me to emcee it, which was a huge mistake. But anyway, it went great. I'm glad that uh, I didn't mess it all up. Uh, we honored her. She's an amazing woman. And she spoke. You guys remember this years ago? Her and Tommy came in. They spoke. They inspired us about money and the heart that we have for God and all that they've sacrificed. And so she's retired. And, and a lot of people are like, how are we ever going to replace Connie? I mean, those are big shoes to fill, right? But today, we have a special treat. Because there was this massive search. Who's going to be able to fill this role? And I'm going to invite him to the stage now. But the search is over because an outstanding young man, brilliant, spiritual, humble, (laughs) has been found. And he's going to be sharing the rest of the message with me today. This is Bobby Ritter, our new CFO of the church as of next week. You ready? Thanks. All All right. Good morning, church. It is such a joy to be here with you. Um, My wife, Hannah, is right over there. Uh, We were both baptized in New Jersey, New York area. I actually studied in Manhattan. I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, But we were gone for many years, and now we are back what feels like home, and it is a joy to be here. Um, So I grew up in essentially a God-fearing home. Um, You know, my parents aimed to point towards God in all situations. And it was good, except I ended up with a picture of God that essentially was like, God loves me and wants me to be happy. And, well, yes, true, God does love us. Our happiness is not his primary goal (laughs) or motivator. Um, And that, plus a number of other things in my life, led to a lot of entitlement. A lot of expectation that I would get what I wanted, that things would go well for me. Um, And to the level of like complete foolishness, I only applied to one school, the school that I intended to go to, with a very low acceptance rate. I'm like, that's where I'm going. And people are like, that's dumb. You should apply to other schools. And I'm like, no, that's where I'm going. And it, it was such a hope in my own abilities and just expectations that everything would work out right for me. And I did end up going to that school. (laughs) And it reinforced this entitlement, this expectation that life was just going to be easy for me. And so when I got a little bit older and I was still in college and my parents started to separate and suddenly the entire foundations of what I believed in was shaken... Some young men met up with me and helped me see the scriptures and point to, like, how are you living your life? <laughs> how do you perceive God? And, and really addressed and dealt with a lot of this, this kind of, you know, just expectation issues. And, you know, this is really where I became a Christian in Manhattan, but I'm glad that you didn't meet me then because I was a punk. Um, <laughs> I was prideful, I, and like, I'm horribly introverted, so like, I'm just not that much fun to meet to begin with. <laughs> and so then you add a layer of sin, and like, oh man. Like, <laughs> so I appreciate the Markowskis. Like, they were warm and inviting and loving. You know, it's, it's cool. <laughs> so, so I became a, a disciple. Um, and 
this was after already like interacting with the church and rejecting it. Like the first time I went to a service, it was at Javits. It was a big congregational service. It was right around the time of special contribution. And I walked out at the end and I told my dear friend, Rob Novak, who you guys know, like, look, man, I don't want to be part of your money grubbing Baptist church. <laughs> and he's like, we're not Baptist. <laughs> so... I, I repented in, in many, many ways, but unfortunately, that entitlement was still very baked in. Um, my expectation of the future was just like things are going to work out. Um, I had a really great consulting job lined up right after, like before I graduated, and I spent a lot of time thinking about my money and all the things that I would kind of get to do in my life. Um, and then suddenly... It, it, it wasn't working out the same way. So Proverbs 23 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So about two months into my fancy new job graduating school, I left my laptop on a train. Um, I was reading a book, kind of put it up on the thing, got to my transfer, switched to a different train, kept reading, got home, reached up, no laptop, devastated. Um, my boss was like, don't worry about it, you made a mistake, and then three days later he called me to fire me, so I guess it didn't, <laughs> didn't quite equip the same, same way. And so here I am, you know, a couple months out of school, $155,000 in debt, Suddenly having to go on unemployment, all my job prospects were vanished because they had now been filled by other graduates. And like this was, you know, a couple years after the big recession, it was just scary. And it was so humbling. And it's amazing because time after time, what I've seen is that like God challenges our hearts when we need it most. And based on everything that was going on in my life, I needed that. I needed wealth to disappear before my eyes. It's amazing how Ecclesiastes talks about how all these things are meaningless, but also like a mist or something that you can't really grasp. And wealth is that thing. Stockpiled wealth looks for a way to dissipate. So with that, I'll turn it back over. Bobby's no joke right there. Don't let his good looks and youth deceive you. He is brilliant. Thank you for, for letting us in on that, Bobby. And he's going to come back and share a little bit more. So we talked about this idea and answering a couple of questions. The first one is, why do people put their hope in wealth? We talked about how we get caught up in it. And then Bobby's talking about why is wealth uncertain? And he explained how it can be so fleeting. The third question we want to ask is, how do we put our hope in God, right? And this is the practical side. How can we switch this up? How can we change the way that culture wants us to be, to be dependent on, on money? So let's read a scripture, or we read a scripture earlier about this idea of a, illusion that wealth is a strong tower. I want to read the scripture right before it. So in Proverbs 18, verse 10, we read verse 11 earlier about this fortified tower that really doesn't exist. What does this say? Well, it says, the name of the Lord is a true fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So there's a comparison, as is often done in the Proverbs. You have a comparison passage. The verse before it says, people think, they imagine that wealth creates security. And then the second part, here's what's really the foundational principle and truth of how to build your life on solid ground. And that is by building it on the Lord. 
And we, we talk about hope, and it can be theoretical, but until we get a conviction about putting our hope in God, we're not going to be able to act on it. And I think one thing that's important to think about is that even though it's ridiculous to compare cash to Christ, we often do. If you look at our schedule, look at time, look at what we pour ourselves into, if we compare cash and Christ and put a ledger down and say, how much am I putting into each of these things? Measure yourself spiritually. Where are you at on that measurement? Are you giving your best to Christ? Or are you find yourself working overtime for that dollar, which is not necessarily to honor God with? See, Jesus is certain. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can bank on it. You can put your hope in something that's certain. But wealth is so fleeting. Wealth is a liar. It makes good. Jesus makes good on his promises. Wealth makes promises that it can't keep. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it back to Bobby as we continue to explore what are ways and what are ways that we personally have put our hope in God and not in wealth. Come on back up. So, so after that time, right, I had, I had lost my job. And it was kind of like, for a moment, just very stumbly, grasping around, like hoping, like, what is, I need my security back. But I needed to put my security in God. And I feel like when I finally got to that place, doors opened, and suddenly I found myself moving out to St. Louis, where there I started to work for this large international um, company. And kind of as a backdrop, here is the St. Louis Arch. And you know what? Like, they love it there. <laughs> they, they put it on billboards. They, like, all, all these companies are named after it. It's just like it is the thing. And when you're driving in that area, it is very impressive, and they have like specific ordinances in the city that you're not allowed to build above it because they want it to be the thing. Um, but it's amazing that this is very much like human wealth. Everyone has a thing, but elsewhere, there's another thing, something bigger, something grander. Um, and so, you know, over these couple of years at work, I, I kept getting a lot of really awesome opportunities and kind of growing in my career and was taking it on enthusiastically. Um, and my wife and I, we started to lead the young professionals ministry in the church in St. Louis. And like, it was just good. We really loved what was going on. But the temptation was always to take the next step. Oh, yeah, sure, I can absorb that team into my group. Oh, yeah, great, you'll let me hire a couple more people. And so I kept, you know, kind of growing in my career and giving a little bit more of my time to it and a little bit more of my creative energy. And at the same time, like, the, the work for the church was also growing, and I wanted to do that, and I knew that that was good, but this was not a sustainable System. You can't work 60 hours here and 30 hours over here on the side in ministry and kind of expect it all to work. Um, and so this kind of really came to a head in about 2016. Um, and so I was managing a larger team and, you know, kind of traveling all over the world to visit different companies that we were either acquiring or some of our smaller offices to, to consult on, on various technology things. And Han and I, we got to go to Dubai. Um, and if you're familiar with Dubai, there's a tower there called the Burj Khalifa, um, which is not named after Wiz Khalifa, apparently. <laughs> um, and this tower is so impressive. Like, that's it compared to the arch, right? It just, it just dwarfs it. There's no comparison. It's, it's like you wouldn't want to see that behind the arch because you'd like to be, okay, 
the arch is not so great. This is a testament to human wealth. No matter what you obtain, no matter what level you get to, whatever you put your hope in, there's something grander. Even if you build the tallest tower in the world, there's hundreds of other companies and organizations and and investments attempting to build something bigger and grander and greater. So we go to Dubai and we go to the top floor of this building and we look out and it's it's crazy. There's like skyscrapers that look minuscule when you're up there. And it was cool, but it wasn't everything. And when we thought about our trip, when we reflected coming home and we talked about different things, well, we recognized that the absolute greatest thing in Dubai was the same as every other city that we had been to and traveled to. The sites were good, but the time that we got to spend with the disciples there mm. was way better. And they opened up our homes, their, their homes to us, and they let us eat with them and, and be family with them. And it's amazing because God is not transforming the world with the tallest towers. Amen. He's transforming it right in the ground level through meals and conversations and love between people. It's amazing. And so, like, one of these couples, like, we even, we got to spend, like, a whole day with them. They rearranged their schedule. They took us to a bunch of places. That's them, Rowena and Abhijit. Um, They themselves have been in the ministry in a couple different places and are now out in New Zealand. And, like, we Skype with them probably maybe every six months or so. And we just share life. And we're great friends. And when they come out for the Vision Conference, they're going to stay at our house for a couple days up here and then head down there. And it's just, like... That is the power of Christ. And this trip was so crazy because I went and I come back and my coworkers are like, oh, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this. How is, how is the indoor ski slope? How is all these like fancy cars? And I'm like, no, no, no. The, the time with the disciples. They're like, you're so weird. And I'm like, I know. I get it. <laughs> but it's amazing. Like, God has done all this that we would completely see what it really matters we like chasing after some world approved job that's not why he came and died he died that our very hearts would be transformed that we would be able to lay down our lives for one another that we would forgive without exception that we would love enemies and friends alike he died that we would have hope in him and and what's crazy is that like it was just so so clear and being at the top of the tower and then just sitting there and kind of talking, it was just so obvious that there was something greater and grander that we wanted to put our hope in. And so about a year after this, uh, Hannah and I were given an offer to go into the ministry, and it actually worked out perfectly. It was like right when our student loans were all getting paid off and we were able to go. Um, but it was a hard choice. We, we took about an 86% cut to our income <laughs> to go into the ministry. But try and call me foolish. I would do it again and again. And it was just. And I'm not saying that everyone should go into the ministry. That would be not practical. But I am saying don't give every last bit of your hope and your attention and your care trying to chase the next best thing at work. 
because that is not what God has prepared for us. That is not the hope that we proclaim our very lives. Your time is God, your heart is God, your mind, your very soul. He designed you uniquely and like has an exact picture for what you would be like if you freely gave your money and your time and your talent. Mm. So those like different back burner ideas that you have to reconcile the world to him, those ideas for how you can help the poor, the elderly in your neighborhood, all these things like they matter so much and they're so easy to kick down the road when another work project comes in. And it's so easy to be like, well, no, I need to make sure that my career is perfectly secure and safe. I'll worry about that next week, month, year, never. It's, it's challenging. So Isaiah 24 through 27 has some really rich imagery. And it's essentially comparing God's holy city as a mountain compared to the best that the world can offer. And I mean, like, it, it actually at one point talks about this other city as essentially being feces in the streets of God's holy mountain in comparison in terms of how valuable it is. Um, and, and honestly, like, this imagery really helped me make decisions and really helped me understand, like, okay, I want to put my hope in something greater than the Burj Khalifa. So here is Mount Everest compared to the tower. And I, I hope you can see it there. Like, honestly, you know what? People are going to keep building bigger things. And maybe someday someone will build a tower that's as tall as that mountain. But it does not matter. The mountain of the Lord far surpasses it all. The family that we have, the hope that we have, has, like, there's no competition. Reading from Isaiah 25. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So is the song of the roofless stilt. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is a big deal. What God has created, this hope that he's presented, the plan that he has for you and I and the millions of people around us that he desperately wants reconciled to him, it, it involves each of our hearts. It involves our wallets. It involves our schedules. When we don't give each of those things, each of those three things in totality, God is like, ah, oh, my church is missing its arm. The nose looks a little weird. There's someone that there, but they're not, they're not really there. They haven't bought into this vision just yet. So I want to talk just a little bit about special missions contribution. 
It is so cool what the church gets to do. The fact that we are in a place and time where we are able as a church body to collect funds and send them to other places where the money is needed more, we are so blessed to be in that position. And it's cool, too, because these churches, too, they try to send back teachers and, like, there's this really cool symbiotic thing that we have going on with them. And what they are offering to us matters just as much. But we do have the money and we do need to give it, if that makes sense. Like, it's, it's what we have. Um, and so, you know, I've been to churches in five different continents. And in each one, in every church, it's been exactly the same. I was welcomed with love. I was looked past my past sin, I was forgiven, and I was kind of welcomed as family. And it's so cool that we have little pockets of family here and there and everywhere. But we want there to be more. There's cities untouched. There's places that, that we don't have family, but we need it. So it's really cool what we do with special, special missions. Some of it, it goes to Africa, and, and honestly, some of the work there that Steve Kennard has been doing, raising up teachers, a, a second batch was recently appointed. Like, it's such a cool thing. Um, and in the Caribbean, they have continued to just be rocketed by storms and different geopolitical problems, and our money helps. Uh, we were able to recently make a donation that actually allowed our disciples to eat. And they weren't going to be able to eat Absolve that money that Hope Worldwide already had in the country that then we resupplied. Um, in upstate New York, like our brothers and sisters are up there working and churning and loving God, and they need our support. Strength and weakness. It's so important. The fact that we talk about same-sex attraction in a way that is graceful, with love and care and true biblical view on it, matters. And that is a message that the world needs to hear. People beyond our church movement need to hear what they're teaching. The Ministry Training Academy. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the money given to the Ministry Training Academy back in 2010. If you gave money to special missions in 2010, you are a part of the reason why I'm a disciple. (laughs) When I think about the last 10 years of my life, when I think about my wife that I wouldn't have otherwise, when I think about all of it, it's just mind-boggling. And it was because someone was willing to make a sacrifice and say, yeah, no, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's get another intern out here. It matters. And so the money, too, that we do for the local work here, all it takes is one walk around the, the city block here to see we have a lot of work to do. I want to look at one last scripture, Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-two. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. That's you guys. You are the wise men and women that are confronting the city at its core and saying there is something better. That there is a new way to live. That there is a better way and a different thing that you can put your hope in that matters. It's amazing. Um, You know, so my wife is about four months pregnant, which is super exciting and overwhelming. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all of these things are coming back. 
it's it's easy for me. Like I was in the middle of, of essentially setting up a stock donation to the church for our special missions contribution. And like it just kept not going through. And like they were like, oh, the paperwork wasn't notarized. I'm like, but it was. It was the whole thing. And each time I'm like, man, I could still cancel this. I got a baby coming. There's, there's you know, all of these additional questions and challenges. But this scripture, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Each stage of life that we go through where we say, I'm still all in, God still has my time, my attention, and my money. Every single time, every single way that we do it, it matters. It challenges those around us. It makes them wonder, like, who are these crazy people? And amen. I'm, I'm so blessed to be one of those crazy people, and I'm so thankful to be here with you today. Thanks. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, you guys are amazing. You know, Bobby, he, he surprised me a little bit. He was up here getting real used to the space and everything. And, and when he was speaking, he kept looking at me. I'm like, oh, gosh, I mean, I'm feeling very convicted here. Thank you. That was awesome. You know, as we close things out, you know, I want to encourage us. We, we are a church that puts our money where our mouth is. And I just want to say thank you. Mark announced this on Wednesday, but I want to repeat it to the congregation here that, uh, you know, for months, and we do this every year as we do bake sales to raise money for our students, our preteens and young teens and teenagers to be able to go to a week of spiritual summer camp uh, outside the city. And for those of you who have served at these camps or been at these camps, it is unbelievable to be around hundreds of young people wanting to know God. And it is just an incredible experience. And uh, I'm looking forward to being there again and uh, hanging out with the, the young folks this summer. But we do these bake sales and it's really our primary way of raising money uh, to help out the families that want to send their kids to go. And it's, it's a pretty penny. It's a few hundred dollars. Uh, but compared to the other camps that are out there uh, for week-long camps, you're talking about many, many hundreds, thousands of dollars to go. So it's less, but it's, it's still uh, hard to afford for all of our families. So we do this bake sale, and you guys are amazing. I mean, we announce it every time, you know, Arlene announces it and gets us psyched. And sometimes we have like a pre-menu, like today we have pistachio cookie. And, we get, and then, hey, if you're on a diet, you can still donate. You know, like we, we, we really get excited, and we appreciate you being good sports about it. But as Mark said on, on Wednesday, this is real cash that comes in. I mean, we, we collected, I think, over, a little over $3,000 by selling cupcakes and cookies. Thank you for all the gifts that you guys have given. That is incredible. That's a lot of money. But then after, uh, you know, all that money came in, there was still some, you know, it offsets the amount that each parent is going to have to pay for their kid to go to camp. And then someone came forward and said, how much would it cost to make it free for all the kids? And so an anonymous donor wrote a check for that amount $4,500. All of our kids are going free to camp. And to me, to me, that is what this is all about. Being rich and giving and sacrificing and being generous and living that and not just talking about it. So thank you. Thank you to all who have given. Thank you to the anonymous donor. Uh, Thank you that we get to be a family 
that puts these things into practice, to put our hope into God, which is certain, because we know wealth is not. As we approach the communion, uh, I want us to remember Jesus, because in Hebrews 12, it says that it was a joy for him to endure the cross. You say, well, it wasn't joyful to endure the cross. No, it was a hope set before him. There was something that he was looking forward to being able to do. And so it made the pain worthwhile. He had a joy of knowing that we could be saved, knowing that we could be part of his kingdom. And so I want us to consider that as we go into this time of communion, that it is a joy to sacrifice. It is a joy to give, but only when our hope is put in the right place. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are so grateful to sit at your feet today, to hear from your word, to know your son, to know his example of being rich towards others, the way he gave his time, the way he gave of his talent, the way he was willing to put it all out there and in the end give his life for some that didn't even know him and wouldn't know him for a long time. God, thank you that you are an example for us on how to be generous and be rich. God, thank you so much for Bobby, for Hannah, for being here, uh, for enriching us with uh, their life, their story, their sacrifice. Thank you for Bobby and just uh, all that he's willing to do, stepping into this role to serve the church at large. We ask that you give him extra discretion and wisdom and uh, continue to work through his brilliant mind and his humble heart to uh, serve the churches. God, I do pray that in a couple weeks when we give our special contribution that we would make you proud. Uh, that this wouldn't be about anybody else, but just doing something that would honor you and remind you that you are who we put our hope in. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.